It's episode number 60 of the show. Before the show podcast, we made it through 60 episodes. Well, not through 60. I guess we made it to 60 episodes. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Hey, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Bond. Welcome in. It is the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. And yeah, 60 episodes. This is uh, absurd now. It's ridiculous. I can't remember. What would you join us for? Like 21, I want to say? Yeah. I I, I can't remember when I crossed the uh, mark in which I've done more than Jake. Yeah. it was a little bit ago. I can't. Rest in peace, Jake. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> but we made it. Jake we made is it. not dead. We have not He's done not that. He's not actually dead. So we haven't done that in a long time. We should probably listening. refresh people on that, that Jake is not dead. He just yeah. works for a different news agency now. So rest in peace, Jake. Um, hey, so welcome in the 60th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. I'm Tyler Ron. He's Sam Dykstra. Uh, we have a packed show coming up for you today. Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros organization will join the show. Alex Bregman, who is currently uh, just raking at the double-A level with the Corpus Christi Hooks, the Texas League, the top prospect in the Houston Astros organization at last year's second overall draft selection out of LSU. Uh, Alex Bregman will join us. He's a really insightful guy. We've gotten a chance, each of us, I think, to talk to him on multiple occasions now. And a really one of those guys who tells you i think exactly what is on his mind about what he's trying to get better with how he's trying to get better and all that kind of stuff i really appreciate that with guys especially guys like him dansby swanson um you know these talented guys who have come in with such hype and such stress surrounding the stars of their careers i appreciate the openness from somebody like him yeah and hopefully we'll be able to hear some of that a little later um he's definitely a guy who's honest um about his own game about his own changes um, why he's doing so well right now and uh, everybody will be able to hear that for themselves I think in a little bit instead of reading it in one of our stories which so is kind of fun we will get to that in just a little bit uh, as always you can find the show before the show podcast on iTunes podcasts and wherever else you listen to your podcast you can also find it at MILB.com head on to uh, your preferred podcast service and give us a rating and a review and a subscription there if you like our prospect talk you can always reach out to the show as well podcast at MILB.com or you can tweet at us Sam is at Sam Dykes or MILB I am at Tyler Mon. so without further ado three strikes for episode number 60 we'll get started with uh, some promotion news from this past week top prospect in the Texas Rangers system and a top 10 prospect in all of MLB Joey Gallo called up to the major leagues for his 2016 debut he is the seventh rated overall prospect in baseball and another promotion to the level light right below the big leagues jp crawford the top philadelphia phillies prospect the number three prospect in all baseball has been sent up to the triple a level sam your thoughts on uh these promotions at this stage in the season joey gallows is obviously something necessitated by injuries that have just crushed the rangers especially in the outfield at the major league level but what's more exciting to you right now yeah, I, I, you know, we talk a lot about major league promotions, and that's the end game for a lot of these guys. So, you know, in that sense, seeing Joey Gallo up again at the uh, the highest level is kind of exciting. But I think out of the two, Crawford might be the most exciting, just because this kind of feels like the level he probably should have started the year at. Uh, you know, just given his advanced approach at the plate, this is a guy who had a three ninety eight on base percentage at Double A Reading to start the year walked 30 times and struck out only 21. So this is a guy who knows what he's doing, um, is willing to take his walks, knows the strike zone very well. Uh, didn't necessarily have the best average when he was putting the ball, bat on the ball. He had a 265 average, only three homers. Um, but he wasn't necessarily being tested there either because he knew he could just wait out his walks and reach base that way. So this will be kind of an invigorating test for him 
to reach AAA. Uh, you know, it, everything else you hear about the guy, you know, and I saw a little bit of it in spring training this year. He's just such an easy defender. Um, he's he's up there maybe with the Francisco Lindors and Orlando Arcias of the world in terms of he just makes shortstop look so easy um, in, in a way that sometimes, you know, we see guys at shortstop, they make uh, – Derek Jeter kind of reminds me of this a little bit. They would make these spectacular plays um, just because they would get there a little too late to the ball so they'd have to dive or they would have to make a really, really tough throw. Uh, Crawford's one of those guys where he will make that play just look easy. He will get there before anybody else would. He'll make the throw look like it was nothing, even though it was across the diamond. Um, so, it, you know, his defensive abilities may not be tested any more at AAA than they were at AA, but it's another chance to see him um, put those on display at a new level. And I'll be interested to see what will happen to his offensive numbers. Um, can he get the average up a little more, you know, when he's forced to swing at balls that are going to be more consistently in the zone? Or is he going to take his walks um, just as much there as he did at double a, uh, you, you know, small sample, very, very small sample through these first four games, but it's kind of interesting. He's gone two for 11. So again, not hitting all that great. That's a 182 average, but again, you know, he's taken four walks in four games and struck out only twice. So, uh, he's pretty much been the exact same player. Um, that average will obviously go up as he gets more, uh, experience there, but, um, just to go back to Joey Gallo, obviously, it's great to see him um, get that call. I think he he had earned it. Uh, this was a much better AAA campaign for him this year. Uh, eight homers in 24 games, again, bringing that tons of power that we've always talked about. We've seen his strikeout rate dip into the 20s. Um, that was the big question for him. So he is making much more contact this year, and he's making just as much loud contact. Uh, I think the Rangers are obviously bringing him up to help a little bit in that outfield um, he was called up. Jared Hoying was also called up uh, to be, you know, to help out that outfielder right now is so depleted that you've got, you know, Ian Desmond in center, uh, Ryan Rua in left, and then Hoying and Gallo competing for that fourth, fifth outfield spot. Gallo can still help out at third base, obviously, if Adrian Beltre ever needs a blow. Um, but I don't know exactly how they're planning to use him in terms of playing time. So J.P. Crawford is going to be, you know, the Lehigh, Alley, Lehigh Valley Iron Pig starting shortstop as much as they can get him there. Uh, Joey Gallo a little bit more iffy. Um, so I, in terms of those two, I'm a little bit more excited for Crawford. Yeah, the interesting thing about Gallo, uh, the Rangers have had so much in the way of injuries in the outfield. Shinsu Chu has missed time. Josh Hamilton is now done for the season, obviously. So you kind of see maybe that's a, a depth thing with calling up Joey Gallo, who has gotten some experience in the outfield. None of that experience has come this year, though. Joey Gallo in his 24 games played so far this season uh, for AAA Round Rock has played almost exclusively at third base, and he sprinkled in some days at the DH. He got one start at first base, and that was the day uh, that he was promoted, the day before he was promoted uh, to the big leagues back on the 22nd. So we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, the 25th. Gallo so far has only seen one pitch in his uh, return to the big league so far. He flew out in a pinch hitting appearance back on Monday. But yeah, that's kind of the bigger question here. You know, JP Crawford's going to get regular time. You know, his skill set is going to transfer, especially if he continues to be as patient and as calm at the plate as we've seen from him so far this season. Like you said, small sample size, but the early returns are good at AAA. But yeah, you kind of wonder what this means for Gallo. And you hope from a, a Rangers fan's perspective, it doesn't harm the progress that he was starting to make. 
if he goes up to the big leagues and he's not playing every day, he's more doing more sitting around than he is getting action in the lineup as it's been so far. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Uh, strike two, Sam, and this is something that kind of ties into this. Prospects can make big impacts instantly on a major league team. But being promoted to the big leagues can also have sort of the inverse nature of that same type of impact on a guy's career. Who are some of the guys who you have seen over the last handful of seasons that really stick out to you as being guys hurt by being promoted to the big league level too quickly? Because I think we're still in the midst of seeing that um, in a handful of guys who people are still sort of trying to suss out what is there for them in terms of major league potential. The guy who comes to mind in this regard for me, and it wasn't necessarily that he was young when he was promoted to the big leagues, but John Singleton in the Astros system just, just never been able to figure it out at the major league level. 114 games played a batting average of 171 and OPS of 621, and compare that with his minor league numbers with a career average of 272 and an 857 career OPS. He's at 110 minor league home runs. But at the major league level, just has never been able to get it figured out. And he was promoted to the big league level for the first time in 2014. He played 95 games uh, for the Houston Astros in 2014. Last year, 19 games. This year, the first base job was there to be his uh, coming out of spring training, and he did not seize that job. So that's one of the guys who sticks out kind of in the same mold. Who are some of those guys for you? Yeah, so uh, I like your example better than the one I'm going to use because the way it's kind of worked out for Singleton is that he very much does not look like a guy who's going to figure it out and maybe bringing him up that quickly um, you know, may have hurt him. My example that immediately came to mind for me was Jackie Bradley Jr., who of course is now one of the hottest hitters in Major League Baseball. <laughs> uh, but when they, the Red Sox brought him up in 2013, it was after he had a really strong spring, and I guess this is kind of a warning of you know, spring training stats should not matter. Um, yeah, he, he had only played, I think, 60-some-odd games for AA Portland the year before. He had played earlier that year with Salem. Um, so he, this is a guy who didn't even have AAA experience. He had only half a season at AA. And he, he looked really good in spring, and the Red Sox decided, you know what, we're going to give you that shot uh, to come in. This was 2013, uh, his age 23 season. Obviously did not work out then. He hit 189 that year, uh, was sent down. I think he moved back to Portland, then was moved up to Pawtucket. 2014 was no better. He hit 198, uh, had an OPS plus of 49. So he wasn't even, you know, if you use that stat to be 100 is an average player. Um, he wasn't even half an average player that year offensively when he was in the majors. Uh, it wasn't until really last year for a very small stretch that he started to look like a, a guy who could contribute offensively in the majors. And now it, he's uh, obviously one of the best hitters so far this season in the majors, but it's taken some time um, as opposed to a guy who could have, you know, hit the ground running and a guy who, um, you know, would have followed that normal developmental track of half a season at high A, half a season at double A, uh, some, some time at double A again, and then some time at triple A and, arrived in the majors as a fully formed project uh, prospect. Uh, he was a guy who they really bumped him up a little too quickly. And it, it looked for a while there like it had ruined him. Um, obviously, he's, it, this is more of a success story than perhaps this question was begging for. But, um, yeah, he, he was a guy who didn't look uh, like he was necessarily going to figure it out offensively until this year. Um, so, you know, take of that what you will. Um, I think it's kind of worked out um, – 
in spite of the way he had been brought up, not because of the way he had been brought up. I think this is the Red Sox kind of got a little bit lucky with the Jackie Bradley story and that they didn't ruin him forever um, with that, the way they pushed him aggressively. But uh, yeah, the, I think between those two, Singleton and Bradley, those are two examples. It's not always, uh, you know, your Jose Fernandez stories of getting pumped up from high A and immediately succeeding. Yeah, it's uh, very rarely those stories, and that's what it's also very rarely the guys who come up and just flat out fall apart, too. I mean, most guys, uh, especially the top prospect level, will find some sort of level of success at the major league side. But, um, yeah, very often, I mean, you know, you look at what Carlos Correa did last year. That's the exception. Well, and you could say that about so many guys who came up last season, but those are the exceptions, the Chris Bryants and the Correas and the Francisco Lindors. Um, the the rule is more guys are going to struggle, guys are going to be be you know kind of Trevor story like this season where it's just immediate a total blow up and then all of a sudden everything the pendulum swings back to where it favors the guys who've been doing this at the major league level for a long time and then you adjust back to that that's the whole name of the game but for some guys it just never gets figured out and the adjustment never comes back from that first really big struggle at the major league level so keep that in mind when you watch some of these guys who finally make that climb or make the climb even just to the higher levels of the minors that depending on where they are in their developmental track in their age and their maturity level sometimes those promotions uh, are the biggest drivers of what turns into a successful career and also sometimes they're the things that throw careers off track so it's always something to keep in mind Um, and you know Unfortunately, it's not a fun thing to watch, but it happens to a lot of guys. Um, strike three, Sam. Toolshed, last week, you got a chance to write about Hunter Dozier in the Kansas City Royals system, who was the eighth overall pick in 2013. It was kind of a stunner of a pick at that point. The Royals sort of knew what they were doing and how they wanted to structure their first round. They took Dozier way higher than most teams had him projected in order to save money to draft Sean Manaya later on. Uh, but tell us a little bit about uh, Hunter Dozier and so far his success at the AAA level. Yeah, so... Dozier kind of caught my eye when he was promoted to AAA Omaha just because this seemed like a guy who, you know, we thought might never break out of uh, AA Northwest Arkansas. Um, I remember, you know, our colleague Kelsey Hennigan uh, wrote the Royals prospect primer at the beginning of the season, and she put Dozier as a potential breakout prospect. And I kind of looked at her and just said, breakout prospect. You know, it seemed like he had been there forever. You know, if he was going to break out, that would have happened already. Um, I thought he was much more under the crossroads uh, portion, but no matter which way you look at it, you know, he has broken out and if he was at the crossroads, well, he took the right fork in the road. Uh, But I got to talk to him last week and, and, you know, what it was like to finally get that call out of Northwest Arkansas. I mean, obviously nobody's going to tell you that Omaha is the goal. And that's what he said. You know, I'm still on the road. I'm not entirely happy where I'm at until I'm in the majors every day. But, uh, you know, he started out this year, he had a slash line of 305, 400, 642. Uh, Northwest Arkansas had hit eight homers in 26 games. Um, That's matching his entire home run output from 2014 uh, when he had started to really struggle at Northwest Arkansas. was hitting 209 that year at the AA level. Um, You know, just a guy who would struggle to make contact, was not making powerful contact. Uh, Last year he had a 631 OPS. Uh, it struck out 151 times. Um, so it was nice to kind of chat with him. And he kind of broke it down in a way that, you know, he was a first-round pick. There was a reason for that. He had shown, you know, you can talk about where, where he was picked, and he probably should have gone a little later, but he was a top talent in that draft um, because of what he had done at Stephen F. Austin. Uh, he became the highest draft pick, you know, from that school ever. 
because he was a you know plus offensive bat. And then the second he started to struggle in double A, you know, he told me he just kind of started to tinker a little too much. You know, you start to think, what's going wrong? What do I need to fix? What do I need to do? And by doing all that tinkering, then you start to ruin some of the good habits that you had developed. Um, you know, I talked to him specifically. I watched some video of him last year, and it looked like he had a little bit more of an open stance. And he said, yeah, you know, last year I did have a little bit more of an open stance. That's something I'm always been battling with. I, I used to go open, then I would go closed, then I would go open again. And if you don't have that consistency, that's when these struggles start. Um, so, you know, he said watching him this year, he's much more closed, and that's something he's decided he's going to do and he's going to stick with it. And uh, this offseason, he did all of his tinkering, and then he decided, okay, it's locked in. You know, this spring, I'm going to, it's what I'm going to go into spring with. And, you know, my mechanics are what they are. And if I, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then this is what I feel comfortable with. I need to stick with it. And of course, it's it's worked right off the bat this year. Um, and then you know he's brought it right to Omaha. Um, that same approach is working this, the same way right now in Omaha through 16 games. He has a 313, 343, 552 slash line. Uh, he's homered four times in those 16 games, uh, including twice last week. I think it was last Thursday night, right after I filed the story. So that kind of worked out really well. Uh, so he he's automatically you know becoming. Uh, uh, not a breakout prospect necessarily. I wouldn't quite put him in that those terms still, um, but he is a guy who was back on the Royals' radar. You know, I think if he didn't have a good year this year, we, we're not talking about him as a prospect anymore. He's just a farmhand, and now he's a legit prospect and a guy. You know, they they've used him a little bit in the outfield, so they obviously have plans to try to get him as much versatility as they can, get his bat in the major league lineup at some point, and. Uh, but he, you know, he could be the Mike Mustakas replacement. Mustakas is a free agent after next year, uh, so they could be grooming him to kind of move into that spot. Um, it, and you know, at the beginning of the year, it didn't seem like that was necessarily fathomable. So check that out. It's the Toolshed column from last week at MILB.com. This week is about some of the notable um, stat leaders, stat category leaders in the minors among top prospects. And our guest for this week's edition of the show is among them. Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros organization, last year's second overall pick, uh, joins the show to discuss his 2016 hot start to the season in Corpus Christi and a whole lot more coming up next. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. All right, joining us this week on uh, this version of the Show Before the Show podcast is Astros top prospect Alex Bregman uh, calling in from Corpus Christi. Alex, how is it going so far today? Going great, man. How's everything with you? Good, good. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. You've been uh, one of the hottest hitters of the, the Meyer League season this year, first full season, obviously. Um, how would you kind of describe these first two months for you? It's been good. Um, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a fun time so far. Um, just trying to keep it going. Um, I think uh, the, the, the good side is just to do a lot of preparation this off season, a lot of hard work, and uh, generally just determination and uh, a lot of 
a lot of people have felt this off season with uh getting ready whether it's strength or nutrition or um or in the cage just hit um, so big thanks to them and just having having fun man. Yeah, and, and before we get into what you've done this season, kind of take us back to that that preparation. What kind of preparation does go in for a season where you're pre- preparing? I mean, you're used to playing college ball, um, where it's just a couple months. This is an entire summer um, going into the fall. Uh, what kind of preparation work did you kind of put in this off season? You know, I, I at the beginning of the off season um, sat down with the, the strength coach and nutritionist and, and figured out how I was going to get my body in the best possible, um, the most lean-ass possible while staying flexible and mobile and able to play shortstop. And, um, you know, I got, I got all the way up to 205 pounds, still flexible and mobile running. Just and, uh, the, the work that we put in. Yeah, and then now kind of coming into this season, um, when you're talking about strength and conditioning, uh, you know, everybody likes to talk about the 12 homers. Um, you've homered five times, I think, in the last nine games. Um, what's kind of gone into that kind of power increase you've kind of had so far this year? Yeah, it goes back to this offseason. Um, sitting down with my with my guys from back home and uh, that I've grown up with, um, heading with, and. Uh, we said that uh, we always we always talk about the team on the low line all around the field. All the time. And, uh, I know they want to want to drive the baseball, and I mean I, I've just been very away the ball to the right side of the field. It's going to be on the line. It's going to be on the line trying to hit a double. And if it's to, uh, to the full side of the field, it's going to be in there. And um, it's been a big change for me a lot. And I think every every college every college series I thought, oh yeah, you need to stay on top of the ball and run around the line. That's exactly how I thought. And then this year it just changed to uh just to really driving the baseball and and um just seeing it, man. Been been seeing it well. Yeah, and and uh what has it kind of been like to go up against double A pitching? I mean a lot of people talk about you know, the double A pitching is when you start first start to see guys who are major league quality um, you know, these are guys sometimes with major league experience, uh, and yet you've kind of hit the ground running here so far. Um, what has your experience been so far with double A pit, pitching uh, specifically? Definitely. I mean, there's this, this is a great league. There's uh, 18s, and so we got to play each other a lot. So you're, you're facing the same good arms all the time, and they've got a book on you. You've got to them, so it's a constant cat and mouse game. But um, the arms in this league have, have been good. Uh, it's definitely the best arms I've faced. Um, but I think I'm ready for it, and I put in the put in the work, put in the preparation, and it's paying off so far. And hopefully, it keeps it keeps going. Yeah, and I remember going to Astro Spring training this year. I got to talk a little bit with Carlos Correa. I think that was the day you were sent down to minor league camp, and he said he had kind of had a dinner with you um, just to talk over what it was like to be a pro. What, what was that dinner like? It was fun. It was very and uh, we just sat and talked about the game and talked about talked about uh, what we do, preparation wise, uh, what's helping. And uh, it was fun, man. It was a blast. to get to know them a lot better. Um, and uh, I think we're, we're we're good buddies now. We talked uh, we've talked throughout the season, and um, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be teammates here pretty soon. Yeah, what advice particularly stood out that he gave you there? Um, just control what you can control, and that's working hard 
preparation, attitude, effort every single day, doing everything you got to this game, and um, that's what I've done my whole career. That's that's uh, that's that's what got me here to this point, and uh, I'm just gonna keep doing it. Yeah, and, and kind of you mentioned. Hopefully, you guys are teammates soon. I mean, one thing it seems like the Astros have kind of done with you lately has been move you over to third. Um, potentially, you know, to fill up that left side of the infield. How has that transition gone? Um, you know, mixing in third base with you know shortstop, which you've been playing all year. I feel very comfortable at third base. Um, I played there for Team USA when I was 18 years old, and um, getting back over there, uh, the ball just gets on you a little bit quicker. But uh, I mean, I feel 100% comfortable over there, uh, over there right now, and so uh, I feel like I can contribute at the big league level there. Um, uh, but like I said before, I just want to control what I can control, and that's working hard every single day. Mm-hmm. And what was that uh, process like when they came to you to say, hey, we're going to give you a shot over there? I, 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 was, I was ecstatic. Um, I'll play anywhere they want me to play. Um, I, uh, I just love the game of baseball. I want, I want to win. Um, that's the thing. Um, I think this year, I don't know the exact numbers, but when uh, – when we've been playing, we've been we've been winning. Or we win a lot here in Corpus and the Astros in the Astros organization. We have a lot of winners on the team, and that's uh, that's one thing I really take pride in is winning. Yeah, and I, I talked to JD Davis earlier this week. He was talking about how this team's kind of come together. You know, you were part of that talented Lancaster team for a little bit last year. Um, what is it about that core that that's kind of stuck together there? You know, at Corpus right now. Um, how have you guys kind of come together and put on a, pr- a pretty good winning streak right now? Yeah, I mean, we just we just show up to the field every day, ready to work, ready to get better at the game that we all love, and uh, we just we just play the game to win, play every pitch to win, and um, everyone in this clubhouse is going to continue to do that for the rest of the year. Just kind of take us back to last year. You know, June is coming up here. Um, it is a draft draft month is kind of upon us. Uh, you were taken second overall, obviously, last year. What was the draft process like for you um, coming out of LSU? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was a blast. One day, uh, one of my one of my goals one of my goals was reached of being drafted by uh, by a professional baseball team and um, being able to play. Aston kind of gave me a little bit of a chip on my shoulder um, being taken second. What was it like when you were kind of gaining momentum? You started hearing your name at the top of of lists like that. Um, you know, does any of it, or how do you kind of try to block that out when you're when you're a potential high draft pick like that? Yeah, I think you just worry about winning. Uh, I think you worry about winning and helping your team win if you possibly can. And um, I think uh, the best come down people when they worry about winning and worrying about the team. So that's that's all I try to do. And uh, let's just kind of finish you up on this one. Uh, you know, right now as we enter today, you've got a 320 average, 424 on base percentage. I think you've got the highest OPS in the minors. You know, if we were to tell you before the season, you know, this is how your first two months would go. How would you kind of react? I'd be I'd be happy with it, but not satisfied. Um, I know that I, I could be a lot better than I have been, and I know that I still have a lot to work on. Um, but at the same time, I feel very ready to contribute at, um, at the big league level. And um, I'm just going to keep keep working hard until that day comes. Mm-hmm. And when you say you still have things to work on, what do you think is the biggest thing that needs work in your game right now? Um, I'd say all phases of the game. I think as, as a baseball player, um, 
you, you constantly have to want to get better in every phase of the game. You gotta constantly want to improve if you want to be great at this game. And um, you, you really just have to try and improve in every single area, every chance you get. And that's all I'm gonna try and do. All right. Well, that, that was Alex Bregman, Astros' top prospect, uh, playing right now for the Double A Corpus Christi Hooks. Uh, Alex, good luck tonight, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, man. Benjamin Hill joins the show for this week's edition of our conversation with Ben. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz, and you can follow the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. It's May, but we have uh, a lot of team name change things going on. Ben, what's up? Not much is up, Tyler. I'm uh, on the second floor, and I work on the third floor, so I've actually gone down. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know, and second floor is not usually the spot for you guys. No, usually it's the third floor, but sometimes we make cameos on the second, and... Uh, you know, we try to be well-rounded and diverse within these uh, ever-expanding office environs. It's like crossovers on a you know a '90s sitcom. It's like when Paul Reiser was actually Kramer's landlord from Mad About You to Seinfeld. It's basically the same yeah. thing when you pop it's in. It's exactly. It is exactly Thank like you. that. I was thinking Thank more you. in terms of the Flash showing up on the Supergirls show <laughs> to make a more current reference. But I'll... oh, okay. But pop culture hit its peak with Seinfeld, right. Sam. Uh, ben, there are three teams right now that are in the midst of taking suggestions or voting or uh, rolling out finalists for potential names for 2017. We talked about the uh, the future Binghamton stud muffins last week. Uh, but the Lynchburg Hillcats, who have been an institution in the Carolina League for a long time, they're the latest ones. Lynchburg's future was very much up in the air this time three, four, five years ago as to whether there would even be a team in Lynchburg going forward. But now there's going to be a team and there will be a new identity, which seems to suggest a, a pretty stable environment for that team. Well, you know, we talked about Binghamton and their name, the team contest, uh, just last week. And Binghamton and Lynchburg might not have too much in common in terms of being you know, regions of the country or as cities, but they have a lot of common in their minor league baseball teams in which, yes, their future was endowed at various points. There was relocation rumors at various points. They are staying, both staying put. They are both under new ownership. And when new ownership comes in, you know, they want to freshen things up, make a change, uh, add a spark. And uh, in today's baseball landscape, you know, why not? bring a new name with that too. It means more merchandise dollars, more uh, eyes on the team, and you're going to go through some controversy almost inevitably, but more often than not, these things work out well. So Lynchburg Hillcats, this is the uh, 21st and final season as the Hillcats, and uh, next season, who knows? Right now the team is accepting suggestions uh, for the Name the Team contest, and those will be whittled down to finalists. It's a process we've all come to know and love here in minor league baseball. And um, the whole thing is being uh, done in conjunction with Brandios, who we know um, do not err on the conservative side, even though Lynchburg is a conservative market. Um, so who knows what they're going to come up with and uh, what the community will suggest and uh, where we'll go from here. But add Lynchburg to uh, the New Orleans Zephyrs and the Binghamton Mets as uh, 20, as teams playing their final season under the current name in 2016. And uh, – so this, this is three teams changing the name for 2017, and there might be more. Can't talk about anything beyond that, but this might not be over yet. Mike and, Abramson, by the way, just real quick, the Yard Goats uh, assistant general manager, he tweeted earlier today, please refrain from entering Lynchburg sheep squatch. I've already submitted it. So that's the, the latest crazy team, their guy from the Hartford Yard Goats. Mike Abramson has his own idea. And I, wanna, I would want to see what a logo for a team named the Sheep Squatch would be. You would. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. I think we all would. <laughs> see, see, I just spelled you E W E in my mind. Oh, I said that. So, okay. So you had to explain it, but it, it's still. It's it's still good. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> but of the three that are that are looking to change their names right now, what do you think has the most, like, I, I, what do you think would be the most fun, I guess? You know, you already know what the Binghamton options are. New Orleans is completely open. There's a lot of potential there. Lynchburg, again, completely open. What do you think has the most fun possibilities with it? Well, I think all of them have fun possibilities, and that's the direction that the, the industry is headed. You know, some people would say for worse. Obviously, the people who work in minor league baseball would say for better, and they're making their decisions based on the bottom line. So, you know, I think that kind of, uh, you know, cash rules. But New Orleans has the most, um, you know, cultural clout nationally. I think it's the team name that can make the biggest splash and still have a very specific regional tie-in that people get right away. So I think there's a lot of potential in that. Um, as we saw with the Binghamton Mets, um, you know, four of their six finalists were carousel-related names. So not something that the rest of the country would pick up on in terms of the uh, regional reference, but we saw those names. You know, they're certainly fun, and you know, Stud Muffins is among them. Uh, Rumble Ponies. Hey, we talked about that last week. Lynchburg, you know, being a conservative area known for the Blue Ridge Mountains and um, you know Jerry Falwell and uh, Liberty College, or maybe that's a university now. It's kind of tough for me to think offhand what those names could be because you are dealing with a more conservative market, but yet you have Brandiose in that market now trying to find the new name. So it'll be interesting to see those worlds collide of a irreverent marketing strategy colliding with what could be one of the most um, tradition-bound and conservative markets in minor league baseball. Ben, let's move it over to the promo watch for this week, which we're nearing the end of the month of May. So we're kind of getting into primetime promo season because once schools get out and crowds start to grow at games, that's when the really, really good stuff gets rolled out. Um, Kiss night in El Paso. Is there a kiss connection there? Um, to the city of El Paso? Yeah. Or is it just, uh, not, you know, everybody loves Kiss? Yeah, it's, there's not a special Kiss and El Paso relationship that that um, that um I know of. Um, you know, maybe they don't kiss and tell. But <laughs> um, really, this goes back to the winter meetings, and it's something I wrote about and mentioned during the winter meetings that OT Sports, who does a lot of themed jerseys, they procured a licensing agreement with Kiss, and at the winter meetings trade show, they had Kiss jerseys on display. And at the winter meetings, one of the first per people to tweet at me about the Kiss jerseys was Brad Taylor, the GM of the Chihuahuas, and he was like, mark it down, we're going to be the first. He is, not surprisingly, a Kiss fan, but he's not making that decision purely on just being a fan. I think he also saw some uh, you know, potential for it. So they went ahead, they, they designed a, a jersey different from the one that was on display in the winter meetings, very patriotic, Kiss font in red, white, and blue with a picture of the band. Um, and yeah, they had Kiss Night, and uh, I talked to Brad about it. It was last Saturday, and I talked to Brad about it um, earlier this week, and he said, you know, it was the biggest crowd since opening night. You know, kind of like Star Wars Night, they had people coming, you know, in costume and in character, um, you know, dressed as Kiss members with the face paint. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if more teams do this because, um, you know, Kiss is the band that has been around for over 40 years, so they have multi generational fan base. And uh, the fans who are fans are big-time fans. And um, so they made more money from this jersey auction than anyone they've ever done. And part of that was through setting several aside for fans not in the El Paso area because there's enough KISS fans in the nation and world at large that they're going to see a jersey like that. 
they might have some disposable income and they're going to bid in pretty large increments to get their own Kiss jersey. So it seems to be a moneymaker. And since the jersey auctions benefit charities, you know, win-win all around. And most importantly, it benefits in some way, shape, or form um, Gene Simmons because that's what he's always been about is uh, making as much money off the Kiss brand as possible, and he's a master of that. I, I feel like this was just an opportunity to dress up the Chihuahuas as the four Kiss members. I feel like that's what kind of drew them into this because that, that's like the most creative use of a logo I think I've seen so far this year. Yeah, you've got the individual member face paint for um, represented in Chihuahua form. And um, hey, if that was the motivation, so be it. Yeah, yeah there you go. Makes me want to watch Detroit Rock City. It's a movie I have not seen in a very long time, but that's my entire Kiss knowledge is predicated on that movie. Um, yeah, I saw that movie and and I made out with a girl afterwards. Nice. Well, there you go. <laughs> well done, Ben. Uh, the yeah. Pensacola Blue Wahoos are the Pensacola mullets for a night. We we've seen uh, what if nights and those types of things pop up around the minors really over the last probably like six eight years or so and it was kind of the the bowling green hot rods that got that started with the the bowling green uh blind cave shrimp i think they were kind of the the forerunners of that but the pensacola mullets is a good one because it's not only a fish but also an awesome hairstyle um vin scully once went on a very epic rant about that how did uh what's been the the reception like to the mullets look well it's gotten a great reception and the great thing about a what if night is when you choose the name of a team and it's something ridiculous, you know, there's going to be a lot of blowback. But when you do a what-if night and it's a one-night-only thing, everyone can just have fun with it. So Mullets was one of the choices in the name the team contest held before the 2012 season. Um, obviously, the cultural association with Mullets is the, you know, the hairstyle. Um, you know, cut the sides, don't touch the back, as the, as the Beastie Boys put it. Um, but yeah, it is a fish, and I didn't even know that until the Pensacola named the team contest. So they're obviously trying to represent the aquatic wildlife and have some fun with their hairstyle. So the logo for the Pensacola mullets, and they're wearing this uniform um, tomorrow, is a mullet with a mullet. The fish, the mullet, with a mullet. So it's a mullet atop a mullet. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Uh, a mulleted to... mullet. Yeah, you'll have to mull it, mull it over if it makes sense. Uh. <laughs> it's pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, the Fresno Grizzlies, Ben, which we've seen on the field also go in a crazy direction with the tacos thing. Now Fresno is wading into um, kind of into the legal realm in that now, if you want to, you can be married by a Fresno Grizzlies mascot. Tell us about this. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I In my role as kind of um, someone who oversees the world of minor league baseball promotions, I often get emails from teams saying, hey, I wanted to check if this has been done before. And uh, I wish I kind of kept all those in a separate folder because <laughs> you get some pretty ridiculous questions. And earlier this week, I heard from the Grizzlies with, hey, we're looking to have our mascot ordained as a minister. Has this been done before? And I thought about it, and I said, uh, no. I, I, <laughs> in my knowledge, it hasn't. So Parker the Bear will be has been ordained online as a minister, which is probably more a comment on how easy it is to be ordained online as a yeah, minister. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. And I don't want to like pull back the curtain here, but do we know the specifics? Like, Does the person inside the Parker the Bear mascot outfit, is that person ordained, or can you actually get a basically a fictional character ordained as a minister the same i don't have the answers to those questions but i'm planning on contacting the uh grizzlies and uh talking to them after this event happens and, and getting the uh 
the uh, 411 on on what exactly this entails. And there's also the issue of uh, mascots don't speak, so how can you preside over a marriage ceremony? Ah, that's a good point. Speaking, you know, <laughs> um, do, does he going to have like a right hand man, um, you know, <laughs> who's also ordained speaking as he kind of gestures? Um, who knows what? And you know, a lot of jokes were made on Twitter yesterday when this was announced that um, you know it's also Thirsty Thursday, and uh, when they're doing this, it's, it's part of a uh, wedding-related promotion and kind of a marriage mini trade show on the concourse. But it's also Thirsty Thursday, so there's a lot of jokes about you know having a few too many beers, and then being like, you know what, <laughs> let's get married right now by a mascot. And if that happens, <laughs> oh man, do I hope it happens. And um, <laughs> we'll see. But yes. Fresno Grizzlies breaking new ground once again. They have a mascot who can officially marry you. And and they're making a point to say this is legit. This isn't just a joke. Like Parker can actually do it. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to fly in a place like Lynchburg. You know, the sanctity of marriage is uh, under increasing attack from these uh, liberal coastal cities. These liberal bear mascots. <laughs> well, somebody going to be a justice of the peace this summer. I would love to know if you don't have to talk. That would be hilarious. I'm doing my sister's wedding as a justice of the peace. And if I could show up in a bear costume, and if this like goes off. Just I, gesture your way through it. Yeah, right. That would be uh, – my sister might hate me forever, but it would be a memory we would all share. So I might have to take <laughs> notes. Yeah, I, I think you have – now having just said that, it's not a question of if you do that. <laughs> it's a question of when. And I'm really looking forward to hearing a recap of that. Yeah. Ben, a uh, a story near and dear to my heart. Um, I spent three seasons as the radio voice of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and I was never once treated as well as you were evidently treated in your trip to Myrtle Beach. You got to do all this cool stuff that I totally missed out on while I was there. But a really good story that's up on the blog right now of Ben's big day in Myrtle Beach, which sounds like a, an 80s uh, school comedy. Ben's big day in Myrtle Beach. Um, tell us about the, uh, the day in Myrtle. You got to play putt-putt, which I, too, called miniature golf as a child, uh, but out there, no, not the case. And then uh, you got to see Ripley's Aquarium. You up, went up in the sky wheel. You were in a helicopter. This is a packed day you had in Myrtle. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about my Myrtle Beach uh, trip as part of my last road trip a couple times, I think, already. So I have a story that came out last Friday, actually not on the blog, even though it's written a lot like a blog post. It's actually on MILB.com. You know, I switch formats, the uh, website and the blog, uh, quite a bit. I'm always in different places depending on what you're reading, but the content is all uh, A plus no matter where you are. And so when I was in Myrtle Beach, you know, as I think we've talked before, it's a very strange market because you're trying to draw tourists uh, to a ball game as opposed to, you know, relying on the day-to-day residents of the community themselves. So when I went to Myrtle Beach, the Pelicans kind of tied into that idea and the fact that they market the tourists um, said, you know, show up early and we're going to give you a full Myrtle Beach vacation in an afternoon. So I rode a helicopter, rode the sky wheel, went to the aquarium, uh, played some putt-putt, um, got some barbecue at Boardwalk on the beach. Or is it uh, Broadway on the beach? Broadway at the beach, yeah. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. That's awesome. Um, you know, just had a uh, massively packed four hours kind of trying to hit the Myrtle Beach tourist hotspots as a way to show that this is an atypical market. And, um, you know, when you come to see the Pelicans, you're usually doing so as part of a, um, you know, a vacation and not because you live in Myrtle Beach. And that's one of the reasons the Chicago Cubs affiliation, which started last season, 
is actually really important to the Pelicans because it helps them draw from the Midwest. And part of uh, Myrtle Beach's larger tourism initiative is to increase their numbers of 20 million tourists a year. Part of the ways they do that is by drawing tourists further and further away from Myrtle Beach. So to have a hook to a fan base like the Cubs that travels well saying, come to Myrtle Beach, have a vacation here, and part of your experience can be seeing the Cubs affiliate is uh, good for the city and it's good for the team. Yeah, it's a very strategic business-like. Uh, the way that you have to approach that affiliation is really interesting in that market comparatively to, uh, to the rest of uh, minor league baseball. So go check out that story at MILB.com. You can also visit the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can find out all the uh, all the details on what's going on next. And uh, next up for Ben, as we noted last week, because of the delay in the Hartford ballpark construction and opening, it looks like the next full-fledged road trip is the Appy League, which will be coming up next month, and that is a full Appy League trip, which will be cool. And um, yeah, until then, Ben, uh, what do you got going on? Yeah, well, I'll be covering the promo scene as I usually do, and I'm, I still got a lot of material from this last Carolinas trip, which ended about a week and a half ago. I'm really starting to return to those ballpark visits on the blog and doing, you know, kind of the full uh, blow-by-blow breakdowns of my experiences at all seven ballparks I went to. So lots more to come from the Carolinas on my blog. Uh, got some Greensboro posts up uh, today and more to come. And uh, that's some of my favorite writing that I do all year is the blog post covering my uh, stadium visits. So um, I'd really encourage anyone who think they might enjoy that to please check it out. Always appreciate uh, readers new and old, but especially new because you're new. New things are better than old things. No offense, old readers. So please come to Ben's Biz blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, Twitter at Ben's Biz. I'll, I'll do all the plugs so you don't have to, Tyler. Perfect. That works. You're taking my job for me. Talk to you next week. I will. I will talk to you next week. <laughs> Big thanks to Alex Bregman, who you can find on Twitter. He is at A-B-R-E-G underscore one, A-B-R-E-G underscore one. And uh, you can watch him all season long on MILB.TV, which is where we are headed next. By the way, big uh, thanks to Benjamin Hill as well. You can follow Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. And you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Um, so, Sam. It's uh, another week in the books, and uh, we're getting close. We're already getting close, like relatively close, two-ish and a little bit more weeks away from All-Star Games and uh, and the midway point. And obviously the Major League Draft is coming up very soon as well, so we've got a ton on the horizon, um, which will be, you know, it never stops. There's always something new and something big coming up. Yeah, no, and that's what uh... – yeah, I'm really looking forward to that draft. As you can kind of tell, we've done the last um, our, our last two interviews. We've kind of checked in with guys just to see what their draft experience was like. Um, so we'll get a whole new, fresh batch of talent. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to be at the draft this year, that first round. Awesome. Um, showing in Secaucus, so that'll be a lot of fun. I know Jake went last year. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get some uh, podcast interviews for that, uh, tool shed out of it as well. Um, a lot of content coming from the draft. Uh, a lot of pre good pre-draft content out there right now. Um, we'll have our own stuff, obviously, but check out, you know, I know the MLB pipeline guys are doing a lot of good work with mock drafts and that kind of stuff. So check them out, check out baseball America. Um, and you know, read up on the drafts, other places. We'll have our own stuff coming in the next couple of weeks, but, uh, yeah, this is an exciting time in, in terms of young self educated, right? Get right. Yo, your homework educated. Kids. Yeah. Come on, kids. Uh, milk TV this week. What do you got, Sam? 
Yeah, so I'm going to kind of continue my theme of what I normally do with these MILB.TV segments is, hey, that guy we just talked to, go watch him. You can find him. Yeah, so Corpus Christi this weekend is playing uh, Northwest Arkansas um, this Saturday. Uh, this is the one I just have clued up right now. But, yeah, they're playing them this weekend on MILB.TV. Get to see a really good Corpus lineup uh we obviously talked to Alex Bregman. He's been in extremely hot to start the season. Uh, J.D. Davis just won, you know, Texas League Player of the Week for the second straight week in a row. Um, this is a team that's really clicking right now as a unit. Uh, you heard Bregman talk about that a little bit. Um, so now you get to see them for yourselves. And, that you know, we've talked in the past about how good the Astros system is, but it seems to be really concentrated really well at this AA level. Um, so highly recommend checking out them if you get the chance. I am going to uh, somebody that we touched on a little bit earlier on in the show uh, was uh, the Reno Aces. The Reno Aces, um, Braden Shipley has been very good. We didn't talk about him specifically, but Braden Shipley has been very, very good for Reno as of late. He's the top prospect in the Diamondbacks organization, a 3-2 record, a 2.98 ERA, which is very difficult to do in the Pacific Coast League. He goes on Saturday night on the road at Round Rock, coming off of a really, really good start his last time out. Um, I got a chance to talk to Braden on the day that he was actually cut from big league camp this year in spring training. And he just seemed like a guy who was very confident and very comfortable in what he knew he had to get done to make that final step to the big leagues. And he has been outstanding this year. Ever since starting kind of rough after his first three starts, he was two and one with a 5.71 ERA. Since then he's dropped the ERA to 2.98. He's posted three scoreless outings, including his last one, which was on the road at new Orleans on the 23rd, six innings, three hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, no walks. So continuing to watch the, uh, the development and the ascension, the ascension, I should say of Braden Shipley. That's uh, that's on tap for me this week. Yeah, no, that's certainly a good one between him and Archie Bradley. Um, that's a really good Reno yeah. rotation, and uh, Bradley's doing exceptionally well as well. So keep your eye out for uh, you know either one of those guys whenever they get a chance to start. Milb TV, MILB.com. You can find games throughout the entirety of the 2016 season, and you can get all set up with your subscription there because short season ball is just a few weeks away, and we got a bunch of teams that we will be adding to the Milb TV calendar there as well. There we go. No, so it'll be a, it's a like Can't I said, even... right. That this is an exciting time when we get to add new blood. So yeah, absolutely. The, the the TV circuit. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll do this again next week. Phenomenal. Next week, week it'll so be the uh, Roger Maris podcast. The Roger Maris podcast. This week, last week, I made a weird reference to Babe Ruth. This week, in an episode that I could have made an actual reference to Babe Ruth, I didn't even do it. So next week, the Roger Maris podcast. That'll work. Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, or should we say Rod? Yeah, no, Roger Maris podcast next week. Um, who made the movie? Was it Billy Crystal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll pack it with Billy Crystal references too. It's a Billy Work Crystal and, and Barry Pepper talk. Be great. Yes, that, <laughs> look out for that. <laughs> I know you're all anxiously awaiting it. All right, enjoy uh, enjoy a week of baseball. We'll talk to you next week.